From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast Hot Takes Edition immediately following Florida State's 28-14 loss to NC State. And it's been a while since there was a game that Florida State played that, to me, as soon as you found out the starting lineups, felt like this much of a foregone conclusion. Uh, if if nothing else, I think this game demonstrated the exactly how valuable Jordan Travis is to this team at this point. And how, you know, you talk about wins above replacement or, you know, value above replacement. And frankly, Travis's value above replacement is gigantic relative to other options on the roster at, at quarterback right now. And, you know, he hides his ability to move and his ability to make plays on the move hides so many flaws around him on the offensive side that as soon as you see the more limited uh, options presented by other, by, by essentially the other option, that being a uh, very limited Mackenzie Milton, you realize how, how much he actually does for this offense, for this team. He's, he's been decent to good at the quarterback position, and you can see what a difference it makes when you don't when quarterback is not a weakness for your team. It's the most important position in team sports. If you have quality quarterback play, everything else looks good. Everything else looks better. A good quarterback basically makes all the pieces around him better. If you don't have quality quarterback play, you you've got very little chance in the modern game. And, you know, Travis is at, generally speaking, he's decent at the quarterback position or decent to good. What is striking to me is just think about what it's going to look like for Florida State fans when, for the first time in a while, they have very good to excellent at the quarterback position. Once that actually happens in Tallahassee, everybody's going to realize what the difference actually, how big a difference that actually is. I think it'll be easier to appreciate after this, uh, after these last few years. And I mean, you could just see it. This looked like the offense essentially that played against Jacksonville state, not the offense that's played the last month. And really the difference, the, the big difference is at the quarterback position. And like I said in the preview podcast, and this was why, I mean, I did not expect Travis to play at that time. What a week for Brock or for uh Chubba Purdy to, to decide to quit. I mean, this is a game, especially in the first half, even if even if Milton had had been the starter in this game with Travis out, even if that had, that's what would have happened at the beginning of the game, it's not clear that that Purdy wouldn't have had a role in this game. I, I think Purdy would have played a lot in this game if not started in this game. But he decided to take his ball and go home at the beginning of the week and kind of left Florida State with with one option coming into this game. And you could see in the first half it was. It was an option that they had to figure out how to find anything, find any way to make this offense work. And, you know, Milton Milton could still survive if he's surrounded by a bunch of talented pieces. I mean, if he was playing in the old UCF offense that he played in a few years ago, where he basically just had to pitch the ball out and they had athletic advantages on the outside, basically against every team that they played, then yeah, he could still put up numbers. But... That's not this Florida State offense, and you know he's limited himself, and you can see those limitations kind of compound one another 
and you know, it makes things it, it, you're always fighting uphill at this point. Now, all that said, even though I, I think Purdy would have gotten his shot probably in this game, it's not clear what he would have done with it because frankly, he still had not shown himself to be any better or more reliable than Milton in practice to this point. And the fact is, if you're not better than the guy in practice, then you really don't belong. You don't, you haven't earned your, your spot on the field. What, why should I believe that you're that much better when you keep throwing pick sixes and other things in practice? So it, like I said, a weird week for that to happen, but you could definitely see that Florida state really didn't have any answers offensively just because of personnel in this game. And it was what it was. I know uh, some of the game management decisions will be critiqued and criticized by a lot of fans. Uh, that fourth down decision in particular will uh, get a lot of discussion, but in terms of the math, it actually, it, it's the right call. The, the math suggests that you should go for the, go for it in that situation, down seven, fourth and four on your own 43 in that situation of, of the game that you actually are increasing your chances of winning by about 2%. So you go from a 15% chance of, of winning if you punt to about a 17% chance of winning if you, if you go for it. And that's factoring in that you're more likely to fail than succeed with that. The, the models assume that you're actually more likely not to get the fourth down in that case than, than otherwise, looking at those numbers. And yet you're still more likely to win the game if you go for it than if you don't. Because if you do go for it and you get it, you keep the ball and that gives you an extra possession essentially in the game. So your best chance to win that game in that situation is probably to go for it. So that's, that's why Norvell went for it. It's a completely defensible, defensible decision. Now, frankly, even knowing that, I would have probably punted there myself. I think that this is one of those situations where, even though the model says to go for it, the, the models aren't always right in every situation because th those are the aggregate numbers, but you're still going to lose more often than not in either, in either case. And you're either, either decision is a gamble. But for me, the reason that I would actually probably have, have punted it in that case is that I'm looking at my quarterback situation and my overall confidence in my passing game versus my defense and my, and the way my punter is playing. And then in that case, I prefer playing field position. So the numbers don't know all of the, adjustments sort of the manual adjustments that I that I have to make for my team and so I'm going to override the models there personally if I'm making that call and I'm just trying to keep it a one score game because that that's where I've got my best shot now fact is if the tackle is made on the screen pass that scores there on third down the decision works either way because you get a stop and you get the ball back even even though you went for it and didn't get it, they're going to punt and now you're going to, or they're going to go for it. And you're probably going to stop them with the, with the, uh, with the long yardage there, but you got them basically in third and eight, third and 10 or fourth and eight, fourth and 10 on the next play. And they're probably not going for that, going for that. They're unlikely to get it. If they do go for it, you're in good shape there. On the flip side, if the tackles missed the, the decision fails either way. So if you punt it and then you end up in exactly the same first, second down, then third down play. If that tackle's missed and then you get a running back going up the sideline there, that running back scores from 80. So it fails either way. So ultimately, 
that decision isn't what lost the game. It, it, and it didn't, I don't think, really impact the outcome. I would have probably made a different call knowing that I was overriding the numbers based on a manual adjustment for my own circumstance, for my own situation. But at the same point, I think essentially that works out as a coin flip. And ultimately, when it all comes down to it, I tend to prefer a coach playing to win as the default option rather than playing not to lose. I think that starts to pay off as you get to be a better team. I think that kind of aggressive approach filters through your team and produces confidence in the long haul. What you can't do is just judge by outcome and say, well, they didn't get it, so it was the wrong call. Okay, well, all of a sudden they do get it and everybody goes, wow, you know, that was a bold call. Good for them. So one thing, the the critique I have actually is that I actually thought the earlier fourth down, the fourth and one from about the 35, a few minutes earlier, I thought that one was the wrong call. So I would have gone for it there. Fourth and one from my own 35 in that situation down seven, I probably go for that one because I think I can get that for that fourth and one. I've probably got a play that I'm real confident in there. I run something similar to what I ran on the goal line to score on fourth on fourth down run the same kind of thing there. And I feel like I'm going to get that 80, 90% of the time and I'm going to keep the ball. And that's the one that I think I, I, I would say they made the wrong call. Other game, game, uh, game management decision that they made basically got them back into the game. I mean, it was a great decision on the, uh, on the beginning of, of the half, the opening kickoff of the second half with the onside kick. I mean, they were DOA in the first half. They, they had, uh, looking at the numbers here, they had, uh, let's see, first half, they had 78 total yards, averaging 2.8 yards per play in the, in the first half. And, I mean, they they didn't look like they were even a threat to score. And all of a sudden, you get the ball on your side of the 50 in great field position with some momentum and excitement. They pumped some life into their own team, and all of a sudden, they've got they they managed to to gain some momentum and and score score that touchdown. And they got themselves back in the game there while gaining an extra possession. That's huge. So tip of the cap for for preparing that and for for calling it in the situation that they did. Just wasn't enough to win the game there. But that, I mean, that, that basically gave them an extra seven points in this game. Otherwise this is probably a, either a a shutout or something like a 28 to seven game. I did think that this was a horrendously officiated game. I mean, yikes, man. And I thought the North Carolina uh, wake forest game earlier, the Flanagan crew had a predictably bad, uh, bad performance on that one too. I mean, man, ACC officiating is just horrible. I do, but you got to wonder, like, what did 24 for, uh, for NC State? So uh, that would be, uh, let's see, 24 was one of their defensive backs. Uh, Derek Pitts, what did he exactly have in terms of blackmail on the, this officiating crew? Because there were two blatant pass interference situations where he, ar- he arrived at the ball or at the receiver well before the ball ever arrived. He made the made contact. He made the hit long before the ball ever arrived. He did it twice. And guys are looking at him, multiple officials looking at him multiple times, you know, again, twice. No call on either one. And you go, how? And then on Florida State's last real chance, their last drive, Mackenzie Milton on the on the play that he kind of flicked it forward to Deshaun Corbin. If you go back and you watch that, that was a clear targeting call right in front of the right in front of the official. And they replayed it. 
and it was very clearly targeting by by rule. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of of targeting ejections myself, but look, I mean, that was a that was a clear example. Not only did he lead with the crown of his head, but he he targeted into the head helmet of the quarterback, and he did it after the quarterback released the ball. So you're looking at a late hit and a targeting call that's missed directly in front of the official, and then it wasn't even it wasn't even buzzed down. You, and you wonder how. Now Florida State didn't lose this game because of that. I'm just at this point, I'm just wanting to rant a little bit about the just really poor ACC officiating that I got to see in multiple games today. I mean, just yikes, man. ACC needs to invest some money in getting better officiating in this conference. There's there's no no doubt about that. They need to take some of the money, take some of whatever TV, bowl money, whatever they get, and they need to add just a little bit more to the bottom line of the officials that are that are that are officiating and do what they can to to train those guys better as well. I mean, I, I do know that, you know, a while back, a few years ago, this is probably 2009 or 2010, I, I, probably 2010, uh, I did talk to the then ACC head of officiating and I asked him, like, what is the deal here, man? Like, why is it that the ACC has such poor officiating? And he, he was candid with me. He said, look, every time we get, you know, our best officials always get poached by the NFL. Basically, as soon as we get really good guys, as soon as we get really well-respected officials, somebody else poaches them and they pay them more money. So the only way for the ACC to improve this is to start preventing that, is to pay their pay the officials a little bit more and make it so that it's a little bit tougher for the NFL in particular to just say, oh, well, that looks like a good prospect and, and, and bring them up. And the ACC is going to have to find ways to train and uh and work in some sort of farm system to get officials trained i mean this is it's just unacceptable now thinking about the offensive side of the ball and offensive side of the ball brought to you by lewis marquez of keller williams realty in jacksonville florida best in the business in the greater jacksonville area tell them you heard about him from the unconquered podcast on the offensive side of the ball uh frankly i mean like i said I knew once it was clear that Travis was not going to play today, that it would be uphill against this defense to generate much of anything. They're very good against the run. Talked about this in the, in the preview. And this is why I was so negative in the preview is they're very good against the run. If you're going to beat this defense, you really need to do it in the passing game. And without Travis, I didn't think Florida state was going to be able to run it well enough to challenge this defense all that much. And, you know, they can't really push the ball downfield with Milton or Travis. So it was going to be, it was going to be a tough matchup even with Travis, but without Travis, I, I didn't think they had much shot and it ultimately worked out that way. I mean, 3.8 yards per play on the day, not good. <laughs> I mean, that's going off of a uh, stat broadcast the stats are not all, all lining up on every, I've looked at a couple different things and they're not all matching up exactly, but 3.8 yards per play according to that, which I think is right. And 1.4 yards per rush. Now that's including sack yardage. When you don't include sack yardage, 3.0 yards per rush. That's just not going to get it done. You're not going to be able to beat a whole lot of teams that way, especially when you average 4.3 yards per pass attempt, sack adjusted. So when you call a pass play, you're getting an average of 4.3 yards on passing on pass attempts. That is, um, that's really, really poor. And when you're going to get, when you're going to combine that with 3.0 yards per called run, 
you're you're just not going to beat very many teams doing that. And offensively, I mean, they just they found some ways to generate 14 points in the third quarter. But I mean, it was smoke and mirrors and they schemed that stuff up and they they basically emptied their clip of what they could do against this defense with the personnel they had. And that's just that's just a fact. So you you got to give them credit for doing what they were able to do, but it just wasn't much. And, you know, again, this offensive coaching staff is basically they, they coached this game with both hands tied behind their back and they managed to find a way a, a way to get a couple kicks in. But other, after that, they didn't have much chance. It is what it is. Defensively, I thought the defensive line actually handled North Carolina State's very good offensive line better than better than I expected. And frankly, this defense, I think it's becoming increasingly obvious that this defense has really come a long way. I mean, they they have come really close to what I would say is turning a corner. Now, thing is, you can see how far they've come with all the stops that they had in this game. I mean, you look at the overall drives and against NC State, they had punt, touchdown, punt, punt, touchdown, punt, interception, touchdown, punt, 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 touchdown, punt, and then end of game. So on the non-end of game drives, they've got, uh, let's see, there were 14 total drives, quite a few, and they managed to get stops, either force a punt or get a turnover Nine of the 13 non-kneel down down, uh, drives in this game. So nine out of 13 drives wound up with a punter or the Hail Mary interception. That's that's not bad. That's 70% success rate defensively in terms of possessions. Now, this is not a great NC State offense. Don't get me wrong. Not a great NC State offense. But that's, that's pretty good. And honestly... The, f- the most frustrating thing about watching this game was actually not watching the offense because the offense, it was just more sad than frustrating. The frustrating thing is that the defense played so well, minus three plays, three big plays, 62-yard deep pass in the first quarter. Just they didn't play the bunch all that well, allowed a run by. Then a 45-yard pass, which is just a little kick out to the flat where you had a missed tackle and then a couple bad angles and another missed tackle. And it goes for, you know, instead of a, say, eight-yard eight yard play, it's a 45-yard play and scores. And then the 43-yard screen pass to seal the game. Those three big plays are the difference in the ballgame. And the defense basically was dominant aside from those three plays. Including those three plays, they gave up 5.8 yard yards per play to a team that's averaging 6.0. So, I mean, just a little better than NC State's average. Not much, just a little. You don't give up those three big plays, though, and this is a great outing. 270 yards on 69 plays. If they just give up 10 yards on each of those, the, each of those plays, 10 yards on those plays instead of, uh, an average of 10 yards on those plays instead of 65, 45, and 43, and they're giving up 3.1 yard 3.91 yards per play, 270 yards total. That's how close they are to being dominant. Cuz they dominated this game aside from those three plays. And I mean it is very much a kind of aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? It, there is a bit of that. You know, the reason that yard per play averages are what they are is because big plays are what make the difference. And you know, 
defenses that give up big plays are bad defenses. But again, I just want to emphasize this team was three plays from being really dominant in this game. And those were three plays with just some lapses. You had, and, and you look at the, the screen pass as an example of that. You have a guy who has an opportunity to make a tackle on that screen pass for a loss. He's there. He just missed the tackle. You make that tackle, and you might win the game, first of all. There's a chance you win the game. Probably don't, because I don't think your offense is likely to score and to close the gap, to close the gap of seven points there. You probably lose 21 to 14 instead of 28 to 14, which is precisely why they went for it to begin with. But you, you still basically you're you're in a position you you've you've stopped him there. You make the you make that that tackle, you get the one-on-one with that guy against that guy on that play. Everybody's in position. It wasn't even a missed assignment, it was just a missed tackle. And that's a tackle you can't miss. But man, like that's how close they are. That's how I mean, basically if this defense just takes that one more step and even just giving up one of those big plays. You you look at it and you go Okay, yeah, well, you know, you're going to give up a big play once in a while. You can't give up all three, though. And in particular, the two that involved poor angle, angles and, and poor tackling, those ones you can't give up. Sometimes you're just going to get a, you know, a bust or you're going to get a, a misplayed coverage and you're going to give up a long one. So, okay. But the ones where you had multiple guys actually get their hands on the ball carrier in position to make the tackle, those ones have got to stop. And if they can just find a way to get those guys on the ground, that they become a dominant defense. That's how close. Now, again, close is not is not good enough. They've made progress, but not enough progress. They need to take a huge step forward. And all the more because they're about to play an offense that's better than this one. Miami with Van Dyke is now actually a scary offense. They they're they're gonna they're gonna give Florida State some trouble because of what they're able to do in terms of big plays and and being able to throw the football down the field. They're gonna challenge Florida State down the field, and that's where they've had the most problems this year. But again, with the group that they've got out there, they've been better than they were early in the year. Even with Jerry and Jones giving up that long play, they they still are better overall than they than they have been. And the thing is, if you add a, a hunter. You add a Travis Hunter, that that type of player, to one one of the corners, and you basically have all the other pieces play like they have been, and this is truly a dominant defense. That's how close they are. Problem is, they're about to lose probably three of those three of the most important pieces on this defense that are making them dominant right now in Jermaine Johnson, Keir Thomas, who had really, in my view, the play of the game when he went down with a cramp, <clears throat> and uh, you know allowed the replay to to uh, demonstrate that the Amezi catch that they had just given for the third down conversion was not actually a catch. So very savvy veteran move there. Go ahead and give him a little extra time. And that's that. They honestly should have had somebody go down on offense when it was clear that they weren't looking at the, uh, at the targeting call. They should have given the, the booth a little bit more time for the targeting call. Somebody, one, one of the uh, linemen or receivers should have gone down at that point. They need to have a signal for this, just just to make make sure that the there's a there's a uh, there should be a signal for force a force a a booth review by going down with an injury, and somebody's the designated guy on on the, on the offense and defense to do this. But Thomas play the game there for the defense. But at any rate, you look at those guys, those those three 
the three guys that they're about to lose, the three former SEC recruits that transferred in, the three three transfers from SEC programs, that being Fabian Lovett, Jer- uh, Jerrion, uh, or Jermaine Johnson, and uh, uh, and then Care Thomas. Those three are the reasons that this defense has become as good as it is and, and, and is playing the way that it has been. They're going to have to find ways to, to replace those guys and their, and their, uh, their productivity for next year, and that's going to be an uphill battle. But again, they're, they're actually getting good play overall on the defensive side. So I think they're making, they're making good progress. Like I said, it's not enough progress. I think as you look forward, the chances of making a bowl basically just evaporated with this loss. I mean, they needed to win this game to have, in my view, pretty close to any shot to, to, win, to make it to a bowl game. Because now they, they have to win out. They're going to have to beat Miami, Boston College, and Florida. And that's at Boston College and at Florida consecutively to close out the year in order to make a bowl. So, I mean, that's extremely unlikely to happen. All the more unlikely to happen now that Miami has found a quarterback in Van Dyke and Boston College has gotten their quarterback back in uh, Yurkovich or Jerkovich. And, uh, you know, Florida is Florida. So basically Florida state is playing Miami and Boston college at exactly the wrong time. And then playing a much more talented Florida team. That is a bit of a mess. I mean, of those, of those games, you, you kind of think you actually might have a better shot at beating Florida at this point than you do uh, Miami, but you don't feel good about your chances to win out at this point. If you're Florida state, and certainly you're not going to do that with, without Jordan Travis at quarterback, they should have Travis at quarterback for, for those final three games. So they'll have a puncher's chance in any of the three, but I don't think anybody's going to pick him to win all three of those. And so it's very unlikely to be a bowl season for Florida State. Nevertheless, like I said, my, my conclusion after watching this game is that they're continuing to show progress and they're continuing to build in, on some of the things and, and improve some of the things that needed to be improved on. But it's just not enough. Not enough at this stage going to have to uh, wait until next year to see some of these things start to pay off and they're going to have to find some ways in the transfer portal and in recruiting to really upgrade the talent in order to be able to see a whole lot more than, than what you're seeing right now. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.